Welcome back to another episode of Previously on Lost. This is episode 37, and this time we're going to look at The Long Con. And I am Mike, and before we get into the show, I have with me Corey. What is happening, my man? Not much, man. I have been orchestrating so much in preparation for this podcast. Everything I've said on this podcast, uh series leading up to this has led to this moment and maybe i can finally uh fulfill my uh my scheme here today or my long con <laughs> as one might call it how are you doing mike i you know i'm doing pretty good it's been a tiring week but i'm doing i'm doing well i'm doing well good steven my man how are you doing oh i'm doing all right just uh hanging out over here on the ocean Listening to some Glenn Miller band, just Glenn just Miller. There it is. There it is. Oh, we knew it was coming, Freckles. We knew it was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting this episode. This was probably one of this is. Um, I'm really glad that we watched Fire and Water last time because even though Fire and Water is not one of my favorite mo- favorite episodes. Um, I'm glad I kept going after Fire and Water because this one kind of really said, okay, we can get past that crap of the last one. This is a good one. I'm I'm down with that. So I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, so, if Fire and Water is what is necessary to get the long con, one. then it I guess it's worth it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So uh, not very many network announcements, but uh, – Join us in Discord. We'll talk about that here after a while. And uh, But until then, let's talk about some Lost, about the long con. We have been on the island now for 57 days. What feels like 57 days probably feels like the year 2020 to these people right now. But what happened last time on Lost, Corey? Yes, previously on Lost. Locke confronts Charlie, who had kidnapped Aaron. He punches him, Charlie, uh, sending him to the ground. And Tom, in the hunting party, warns Jack not to cross the line. And additionally, Jack asks Anna about training an army. All right. All right. This is uh, season two, episode 13. First aired February 8th of 2006, directed by Roxanne Dawson and written by Leonard Dick and Stephen Maida. Um, The survivors fear that the others may have returned when Son is injured during a failed kidnapping attempt. Meanwhile, Sawyer is an amused but highly interested bystander when tension escalates between Jack, Locke, Kate, and Anna Lucia over control of the of the hatch and the storage of the weapons. All right. In a flashback, some just facts about this episode. Uh, in a flashback scene, the waitress who serves Sawyer and Gordy is Kate's mother, Diane. 
Easy to miss, too. Oh, yeah. You barely see your face. Oh, yeah. Uh, And and, and by the way, for some reason, and I know we'll talk about this in a second, when Sawyer brings the bag of money out to the black car, for some reason, I thought Gordy was in the driver's seat. I I don't remember why. I always think that – and I've seen this episode who knows how many times, but I always think, okay, Gordy's in that seat. And then it shows, and I'm like, dang it, he's not. That's that's what they are trying to do. It's it's good trickery there. I know he said, he said he was in there. That's, right. Just... But for some reason it always tricks me. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so when Saeed approaches Hurley with the radio, he has modified. Hurley is reading the manuscript bad twin by Gary Troop. Gary Troop is the man who was sucked into the airplane turbine engine shortly after the crash. How is that even known? I don't understand that. So he must've been credited as Gary Troop. Or is that yes, from man. like a, uh, one yeah, this, this was, all, I, I think part of it was from the, uh, the alternate reality game. I, I think that you found out some of that then, but it, this was definitely common knowledge back when the show was airing. I don't remember how, but it was, it was definitely talked about. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the call sign of the radio station, Hurley and Saeed find his WXR. The station is playing music by Glenn Miller, a musician who was never seen again after his plane disappeared in bad weather during World War II. Now that's just some awesome subtle placement Heck yeah. there. That that honestly, I read this beforehand. It kind of gave me chills reading that. Like that is so cool. Like back in season two, just planting a little nugget Seed. like that. Yep, yep. Uh, also, producers Damon Lindelof and Carlton Hughes can did confirm that in season five recap episode Lost a Journey in Time that the radio broadcast cast was indeed from the 1940s, a result of time travel. Thank you, um, thank you, Hurley, for pointing out. Yeah, he, around all over and miles, miles, and then time. Ah, nah, who am I kidding? It's just so funny that little throwaway line that we had no idea what was coming. Yeah, sometimes when I'm watching early seasons, I think like it's crazy that this show goes to time travel later. But then there are these little things here and there that make you think, okay, you know, I. Maybe they didn't plan on it at all, but uh, at least there's some hints here and there of that sci-fi element. Right. So it's I, I think it's so disconnected in those little moments. Um, so in addition, Jack listened to Moonlight Serenade in the opening of the first flashback of A Tale of Two Cities. So, all right. Well, that's all for the episode facts. Let's talk a little bit about this episode. Um, so, what do we want to go with first? Because there was, you know, I could I could say let's talk about one area first, but there were so many different storylines going on in this one. It's so convoluted that um, we could start anywhere. So, where do you guys want to start this time? Do you guys want to talk about the flashback a little bit? The long con. Yeah, well, yeah, let's let's talk about the flashback then. Because you got me thinking now that you were talking about the the car and Gordy and not not to jump ahead, but just to stick with that for a moment. So we'll, we'll, we'll backtrack momentarily. But does her I mean, sorry, does does Sawyer give the money to Gordy? Is that what happens in the end? Does he does he actually steal the 600 K? Or does he steal a certain amount that may it's not just that's not disclosed? Because it sure seems like he takes her money 
and he obviously owes Gordy some level of of cash. You know, he, maybe Gordy's been supporting him for six months or or whatever, because it, it seems like he he's really this is kind of like a uh, um, solo job of the hut situation. I I think that we're supposed to believe that that he went ahead and went through with the original con, whatever that was, whatever Gordy expected to happen. Um, So Gordy got his percentage. Sawyer got his percentage. I think that's what that final scene was trying to tell us that he did go through with it, even though he, you know, confessed to Cassidy. And we do learn out, learn later on in the series that he did go to jail for conning Cassidy so I mean, he definitely oh, took okay. her money. Yeah, I forgot w- about that. Yeah, when he's in when he's in jail, I went ahead and just rewatched a few of these scenes. But yeah, he when she comes to visit him in, jail, he says that she pressed charges and she's like, "Well, you conned me." So, um, so yeah, he did take the money. Okay, so that that clears that up. Yeah, I th- I think this is such a great flashback. It's one of those flashbacks. It's a complete story on its own. I always think that it's a sign of a really good flashback if the end of the episode is more focused on the flashback than the island story itself. That just shows that there's enough power in the flashback that they're that they're willing to wait on it for the, you know, you know, the the reveal to be near the end. And you get a good double reveal with what's on the island, too. But I think Cassidy is a great character. Do you do you guys buy this uh you know connection, this relationship between the two of them? I I honestly do. I think he was smitten by Cassidy. And I think he really did not want to do what he had to do. I think he I think he's fallen into the same lines as as Kate and he, here's here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> I think that on the island, Sawyer's this bad guy, and then Kate, he, he gets smitten by Kate, and then he starts to change his ways a little bit, changing his stripes, per se, and then he realizes what's happening, and it's almost like this mindset kicks in and says, okay, I can't be this, a, a tiger can't change his stripes, I, I can't be like this. So that's what happens while on the island we see him go back and become the new sheriff in town because he realized I have to go back to the way I was because I'm getting too far invested in this in this in this life now where everybody where people like me and 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 whatnot. I think he generally liked Cassidy though, and I think it really did hurt him to send her away. And when he said I love you to her. I believe he really meant it, and he hated he was going to have to do it, but he also realized that if he didn't get that money in the Gordy, that he would be killed and she would be killed. So he yeah. had to follow through with the con, and he didn't want to. Yeah, I, I love this the th- this type of story, though it can be a little depressing. You know, basically what this episode is saying here is that um, not com- – completely but a lot of people cannot change and will not change and Sawyer um, though he seems like he's going to change he's changing a little bit on the island he's getting a better reputation um, and you know here in the flashback too he is is starting to have this different type of life with Cassidy that's more 
um, you know, focused on this human uh, relationship, he can't do it. A tiger can't change his stripes. And I think that's a, a interesting message because it, the message I take from it is not that people never change, which in some case, a lot of people can never change. But the, the message I take is change is really hard because sometimes in TV shows and movies, it's like the, the hero goes through one difficult situation and then it's like they wake up the next day, never doing that again, live hap- happily ever after, and they're a completely changed person, which is just complete ridiculousness that never happens. Um, you know, look at Sawyer's long-term storyline. He does change, but it takes the course of a lot of stuff that happens. It takes, you know, at least three years, and he goes through a lot before he actually does change. And clearly, in you know, this episode of season two, he's not ready to do that, and he definitely wasn't ready to do it when he was, um, you know, with with Cassidy. So, I don't know. I always find this kind of a fascinating story of whether people change or don't change. I think not to go off topic, but I think a little bit about the um, controversial ending in Game of Thrones, um, not to spoil. I'm not going to spoil, but just uh, the way Jamie Lannister ended. A lot of people thought he should be this like fantastic new person. And he kind of regresses to um, being the same character he always was. And a lot of people don't like that, but, th- but that's the reality of a lot of situations. And I think Sawyer is a more powerful character because he resists change for so long. And this is a great episode where he basically is doing that in both the flashback and on the Island. Well, I, I think you make a, a great comparison there with, with Jamie Lannister. And I, I think the difference is that Lost just does such a better job of, yeah, showing the the progression, you know, it's it's two steps forward, four steps back, two steps forward, five steps back for Sawyer. He yeah. just, um, you know, we see it in the flashbacks. We see it on the island. And, you know, to me, this episode just is such a well-told story. Just the way they tie these two together is just awesome. But Sawyer is a... You know, he does change for the better in the long run, but, but yeah, he definitely, um, take backtracks a lot. And it's, whereas what you described in, in game of Thrones again, without getting into it too much is, you know, we see him getting better and better and better and better. And then just randomly backtracking at the end with, with, seemingly little motivation whereas here we kind of we've seen this coming with for Sawyer for a couple episodes where you know Kate was telling him while he was cutting his hair everybody loves you now and we saw that he was kind of uncomfortable with that so it it kind of leads us up to this moment we've been seeing that ever since you know Sawyer you know was you know since he healed up and you know everybody knew he went off to get help you know everybody like Sawyer now, and he had to kind of remind them that, you know, that I'm not this lovable guy, you know, so, and he still, I think, punishes himself for the things he's done in his life. And we see that on the island um, and in the in the flashback. Yeah, I think it's kind of two things about kind of what you said, though, too. I think I think the reason Sawyer constantly goes backwards is because number one, like you said, he's he's punishing himself. Maybe for killing, you know, the man he shouldn't have killed at the shrimp truck. 
you know, and, and he realizes maybe he's trying to pay for his sins, and the only way he feels like he can atone for or punish himself is to have everybody hate him. Or, number two, it's he feels like if he changes his stripes and he changes who he is, maybe he'll lose lose his edge that he's had. His, you know, his sense of awareness or just maybe he feels like he's just going to lose his edge. And he's going to, and he's not, and he, I don't know, maybe he's going to, he's going to get conned. But if, well, but if he's the one who everybody hates, he's the conner and he's not getting conned. So I think it falls into one of those two camps. Yeah. And Sawyer is, that, that rings true to a lot of Sawyer's actions throughout the series because he is definitely all about surviving in a lot of ways. You know, he's not that he's, you know, a scaredy cat or anything, but, if you remember, I think it's in season four when when Sawyer decides to go with Locke's camp and Kate gets mad. She's like, what are you doing? And his response is surviving. And I think if you're trying to survive, you when you if you're going to make a, a, a drastic change, you know, that leaves you open, that leaves, makes you vulnerable in some way. And I think Sawyer feels more comfortable being the guy he's always been and put and trying to put himself in power positions and. Um, but, uh, just to go back to the flashback a little bit, conversation with the name of that actor, but he does a fantastic job by the way, but I think it's him. I wrote this quote down. I didn't write who it was from. I, but I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it's him who says, it's not what you do. It's what you are. And to him, he's saying, you're, you're a con man, you know, you're, you're a criminal, and uh, I think he says, as soon as she finds out who you are, what you are, she's going to hate your guts. And you know, it's interesting, though, in the long run, Cassidy, I wouldn't say she loves Sawyer you know, unconditionally, but she doesn't hate him. Obviously, he is the father of her child. So, um, you know, this is not a character I expected to come back uh, repeatedly, but she makes... Excuse me, at least at least three more appearances, I believe, including in like late season, season uh, five with uh, with Kate. So uh, definitely a, an important moment in the Sawyer uh, backstory. And, uh, you know, we get the pigeon drop, which is just a staple of of Sawyer. I mean, how many times do we see him open a briefcase like that? It's in uh, the in. What was it called? Is it Con Man? Is that what was the? That's the name of the, the first Con- Sawyer episode, Confid- right? Confidence, Confidence Man. Man. Confidence Man. Confidence Man, not Con Man. That's right. So, which uh, on a celebra- celebratory note was our first episode with all three of us together. So, we've now made it to uh, you know the long con. This is a milestone as far as the Sawyer episodes go for us. So. That's that's kind of a fun note, you know. So let's so then let's bring this discussion since you brought up season five. I'm going to bring up season six. Um, <laughs> how All right, where is this have, going? <laughs> how, you know where it's going already. How would you think it would have been if it wasn't Juliet that showed up at the church, but it was Cassidy? Because I generally I understand that you know. Juliet was really important in his life. I get that. I understand that. But Cassidy was a big part of his life, too. 
do you think it could have been Cassidy? I, I personally don't, because um, I, I I believe what really kind of stayed with Sawyer going forward more than Cassidy was Clementine. So Cassidy did, you know, have his daughter, and his he, you know, he he proved to care about his daughter, and you know, set her up. Anytime he had a chance, even though he didn't know her very well, but I feel like his connection was more to his daughter, even though he didn't really know her than it was. I mean, obviously he, he loved and cared about Cassidy, but I think the time he spent with Juliet on the Island, um, probably was more important to his, you know, who he was than his time with Cassidy. Yeah. To build off that, I think in some sort of alternate universe where Sawyer and uh, Juliet do not get together and live together on the island, um, then if like let's say that didn't happen, uh, I would be totally fine with it being Cassidy. Like it, it would make sense. And um, in this situation, no, since he does get he is with Juliet for a long time, I think that that's a stronger relationship. But but I but they had a pretty good relationship too, so it wasn't um, it wouldn't be unbelievable. It wouldn't I don't think it would be like this some huge controversy. But uh, to play um, against Cassidy for being there, you know, you could say their whole relationship was at least for the first for that six months was built off lies in a lot of way. Sawyer was lying to her throughout it. Now he did say, you know, I felt these these feelings were real for you. And it started offline. It started off as a job, but it turned into something being real. But you know how true is that? It's hard to tell. And you know Sawyer seems, a, you know, he can be confused. He's in a tough situation. So I think the relationship with Juliet is a lot more uh, genuine. And that's fine. I just thought I'd ask that question because you know I know Juliet always gets it. And 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 I like Elizabeth Mitchell's character as Juliet. I think she's a phenomenal character. Um, but I just thought I'd ask, see what y'all thought. It'd be interesting because they they do really come back to Cassidy and they put some screen time into a, to like reestablishing what she's up to, like the kid and getting the money, and they give her a good amount of screen time in that uh, episode, that Kate episode. I think it's what happened happened, and uh, it it makes it seem like you could see more of her and. Does she show up in the flash sideways? I think she does show up, right? Maybe um, not. Yeah, I can't remember. Doesn't Kate run into her in the flash sideways? I don't yeah, know. I, I know her and Kate are friends when, when they come back, but I can't remember on the flash sideways if she is. But um. Anyways, well, if you I, guys are good on that, well, go ahead, well, Steve. I, I do want to just kind of draw attention to just how good of actors they get for Sawyer's um, flashbacks. I think, I think Kim Dickens is, I don't know if you guys are fear the walking dead fans, but um, you know, she, you know, she's a pretty good star and, and Kevin Dunn who played Gordy. I mean, this guy gets one scene, but he, this guy's been in so many, he's one of those character actors that, I mean, he's been in, He's been so, in so many, many movies. Ex- exactly, and you instantly know who he was. I did read a little story that um, 
apparently, um, <laughs> uh, the the episode Adrift earlier this season was supposed to be a Sawyer episode, and they had kind of they had signed up the Kevin Dunn to, to play Gordy in, in that episode. Then they ended up changing course and made it a Michael episode. And then essentially this guy only gets this one scene, but it's, you know, it's a pretty memorable scene. I, that, that line that I'll, I'll put one in your ear, James. I mean, that, that's kind of just a, that's one of those lines I remember from the show. Like, hey, that's pretty, uh, pretty haunting there. Um, so I, I like, I, and then, you know, we had the, the guy who played the Terminator in in his other flashback, and like they get some really good actors in in Sawyer's backstory. After, and the guy that he um was playing pool with, who he borrowed the money from, in the in the previous episode too. Yeah, they, he's good too. Yeah, we, it's always a good sign when a when an actor can or the character can allude to this huge history between the characters, and it's completely believable to me i'm like there's some sort of like enterprise here of these con men and um it's really interesting like i could totally watch a little uh series about some of this stuff and he seems like a character that could come back and and recur and it seems like they they had an idea for him being in a couple episodes obviously the idea was for him to be in a drift uh, and i don't know if those any of those scenes were ever shot but probably just um written but it's it's interesting because he does seem like a more uh, established, well-rounded character than a lot of these other small characters are. So I was going to bring up the the basically the the cold the open to this episode, which I think is such a uh, a good start. You know, just Locke and Jack. Um, basically it's immediately, it, it picks up pretty quickly from the previous episode where Locke is putting away the, um, or maybe the statues have, have already been put up there, but Jack is putting the guns, the, the, the case from the, uh, whatever the case may be episode. You know, we talked a lot about this gun case in season one and how important guns are going to be. And they really, uh, do become, um, like a form of currency in some way. So, uh, you know, here we, we start off the episode, Jack is putting those away and it's just, it picks up on this, this season long thread of Jack and Locke and, um, the, the cooperation they have to do together, but also the frustration and the combativeness that continues all season long. Oh, it's um, a hateful cooperation. They hate each other. <laughs> But I like uh, I like when they have to cooperate. I find that fun because if they just hated each other all the time and avoided each other, it would be dumb. But the fact that they somehow are like the two guys in charge of the hatch and everything, it's so great. It, and refresh my memory. Am I forgetting a scene where Jack's, to, you know, Locke says, I'm glad you decided to put all the guns in here. Did, did Was there yeah, something that happened that led to this? Or did that happen off screen? Because I, I don't remember why Jack decided to, to lock up all the guns. You know, I don't think that's really mentioned. But this episode is is pretty... Only a couple episodes ago was the hunting party where, you know, they made the deal. They, they, this, they settled on the line. And so you know, they even say that was only a few days ago in this episode. So I think that... 
in the aftermath of those things, maybe in the aftermath of some of the incidents with Charlie and they think he's on drugs. And there's just been a little bit of conflict. Uh, but at the same time, the threat level has supposedly gone down because the others have said they're not going to attack. So it's there's good reason to put all the guns away. And Locke is right when he says later, we are more likely to shoot one of each other than we are to shoot one of them. And it's it's oh, totally absolutely. true. So, yeah, that that is that's the best explanation I can find. And actually, as I'm thinking about it here, I do remember Anna said later in this episode, so it worked, you got the gun. So maybe this was just a, a, a plot by Jack and Anna to get the combination to the to the armory more than, you know, a, a chair, you know, a, a goodwill gesture by Jack. Possibly. I got more the vibe that I, mean, I think Jack did want to get the the combination, but I think there was also some sincerity in keeping them all together. I think maybe this is more Anna was like, I want the combination. And Jack, no, Jack doesn't seem like he's going to give it to her. He definitely doesn't give it to her there. He's he's oh, I think he he's trying to bring some goodwill in into this. He's trying to cooperate with Locke, at least at this point. Right. But he doesn't trust Ana Lucia. I mean, she, because number one, he doesn't he doesn't know her very well, and number two, he could tell just by looking at her and the way she's saying things that she's she has ulterior motives. Now we obviously know she's going to get a gun eventually from Old Sawyer himself, uh, from the rumpus in the jungle. But yes, <laughs> uh, we we she's out for it, man. Uh, yeah, I just I I I'm glad he didn't break Locke's confidence there. Yes, um, like immediately she asked for it too. Right. Okay, I have a random question. So we've all used a, combina- a combination lock. <clears throat> and that's what this looks like. Maybe a safe is different. Um, but why do they always have to say left, right, you know, left, 34, right? It always makes it sound more complicated. Can't they just say like 24, 2, 16? Well, you, you, you always have to start off going left. Yeah, exactly. So why isn't it just implied that you go left? That's why I always think it's funny that they say left, right every time. But oh. it's my just my after watching these episodes so many times, I finally I'm like, why the heck do they say that? You know, but um, nonetheless, uh, I, maybe it's I, just a little <laughs> nod to the audience to make sure we know what they're talking about. <laughs> we understand. I will say I did like the gun safe uh, talk. Um, that's probably one of my highlights of this episode. Uh, the intensity between Locke and, and Jack um, was spot on. And I, I do agree with Locke's point of view about checking in with each other before one takes out the weapons. I think that's smart because it's always good to have checks and balances. One man with all the power is a terrible thing. Yeah, and here's the deal. They both mess up because Jack is going there with the intention to take guns out, it seems. But, you know, him and Locke have an agreement. Locke, then he says, well, you're going to break it. So I broke it first. So, you know, Locke doesn't have, you know, they could have actually had a discussion, you know, and maybe the discussion would have been that they don't take the guns out. But Locke didn't give that um, give Jack a chance there. And maybe Locke was in 
right that he didn't matter what he was going to do. Uh, but obviously, that's what Sawyer wanted. So had they actually waited and talked about it, uh, maybe Sawyer's plan would have not worked. But, you know, well, that's, Sawyer, that's what I a don't long con so. is about. I don't think Sawyer started the plan until after Jack came and ransacked his tent. Yeah, what spurred this? It seems like the pills, this is a very subtle part of the episode, but the pills seem to be a major player in um, Sawyer's decision-making. Just the simple thing of the pills that he needs for the you know recovery, it seems like some sort of antibiotic for his his gunshot wound, Jack says, you know, you we need to keep him in the safe. And I think this is one of those things where it's like, you know what? It's the principle of it. Like, I need these. I'm recovering. Like, you don't even trust me to hold on to these these antibiotics right now. That that Sawyer, he just feels I don't know if he feels emasculated or whatever, but he's like, that's it. You've the line's been drawn and I'm done being the the nice guy. So it seems like that is the moment that uh, really pushes him over the edge where he starts plotting this whole escapade. And I got to say, I don't know why, but I really like this from Sawyer. Like the fact that he warned him and he said, you don't want to do this, Doc. And then he did it anyway. And then, you know, Sawyer followed through and, and, and you know, kind of you know, showed what happens if he, you know, crosses him. I, I kind of like that from Sawyer. I don't know why. I just, I thought that was good. Um, because yeah, I mean, you know, Jack's just kind of taking it upon himself to come in and, 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 you know, take the pills out of Sawyer's space. And, um, I mean, I understand why he wasn't, wasn't happy with that. So, you know, it may not be great behavior by Sawyer, but something about it is enjoyable to watch. Yeah. So it, it, it is. And although Sawyer was wrong for taking the pills from the hatch, Jack should not have ransacked Sawyer's tent and taken the pills. And then when Sawyer said, you don't want to do that doc. So Jack just got the smirk. Like, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And in that moment, Sawyer just said, all right, I got you now. And here's and he started convoluting this idea. So I just I I I don't know. I think both were in the wrong in that in this scenario, a hundred percent. You know, I can relate to Sawyer to some degree. Sometimes it's not how people or it's not what people do, but it's how they do it. You know, if if you show a little manners, you you're, you show a little respect in how you do something, it's a lot easier to swallow than if you do it and kind of you know laugh in someone's face or. What basically the way that Jack did this and, and Sawyer didn't like it. He didn't uh, take too kindly to that. So um, you just want to talk about uh, Dark Charlie a little bit? He's Oh, hang on. Hang on. Before we talk about Dark Charlie, we got a Scott and Steve shout out. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Scott got a Scott and Steve shout out. This is amazing. <laughs> but oh. there, there's a problem with this Scott and Steve shout out and Anna Lucia didn't know Scott. So it, it's funny. It's an ongoing joke with our survivors, but Anna Lucia wasn't there for that. Wait a minute. Ongoing confusion. Scott died. I have a theory. All right. I have a theory that Anna Lucia is actually a secret 
other. Wow, another long con, huh? I have no, I have no idea how to back up this theory at <laughs> all. I'm just saying, how else would she have known about Sky and Steve? Because we know they make lists. And number two, she's trying to get Jack to open up the guns. And make- she got Christian, you know, she she could have cri- killed Christian. She helped him drink himself to death to get uh, all these pieces in place that ultimately would set the stage for I'm just, I'm just saying, end. I mean, she could be another. This is better than some of your theories, Michael. I'll give you that. Like, like- <laughs> But the best theory that I've given so far is that Locke is inhabited by the smoke monster. Yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. Well, I I will say my the the other possible theory is that uh, numerous survivors who are on the beach still are some still sometimes say the names wrong and they talk about Scott and Steve and they they still accidentally say the wrong name even though one of them is dead you know there's still 40 some people so she's picked it up by talking to other people when she's in her recruiting so that would be my thought but I still love that they throw it back to this I, I did have the same thought as you though Steve and I'm like she wasn't even around when he was alive <laughs> <laughs> she heard the stories <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Dark Charlie, I actually I will say this, you know, we talked about how bad the last episode was and how painful it was to watch. But now that Charlie at, is at this dark place, not that I, you know, want a lovable character to be doing bad things, he is interesting. He is actually compelling this darker version of this guy who's in a bad place. And he was more, even though he does some, you know, bad things in this episode, he was definitely more compelling in this episode than the last episode, I felt. Um, especially as it goes along. So, um, I mean, I guess we could just talk about the elephant in the room when I'm saying this. Yeah, I mean, Charlie, we don't know at the beginning, but Charlie drags Sun out of her garden in this, like, scary, you know, horror movie, uh, day to night, torrential rain uh, downpour se- sequence. Um, now, to, this is just a bad thing to do. I, I don't know if he ever gets, um, if, if it ever revealed to anyone else that he did this, or if it just gets swept under the rug. I would imagine Sawyer is pretty good at keeping secrets. Um, I, I believe Sawyer you know? keeps this. I believe Sawyer keeps this secret, but I do believe it gets brought out. I can't remember how, but I'm pretty sure Sun does find out and yes. punch and punches him. Yeah, yeah. As he kind of de- as he definitely deserves to give Charlie. Not that I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I would say I would hope that his plan was to just drag her a little bit and then like get away, like run away and not not hurt her, and that her fighting back. You know, because because they try to tell us it's. You can miss it really easily, but they say like she fought him off and then she was running, but she still had the bag on her head. So she ran into a tree and she got knocked out. But obviously it ended up being a pretty serious injury. You know, she's unconscious for a long period of time. So <laughs> and it is it's completely Charlie's fault, regardless of how she got injured. It is. But I'm just picturing that in my head. Somebody running through the jungle with a bag on their head and boom, wow, <laughs> walked right to the tree. I just I don't yeah. know. I'm, I probably would not right, but I'm just what I'm thinking right now. Hey, watch out for that tree. 
Oh, come on. Son of the jungle. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, Dark Dark Charlie is a very interesting character for me. Um, well, I kind of like him over the crazy Charlie we saw in Fire and Water. Um, yeah, I also I also think it's it's better than Crazy Locke punching him thirty times when he didn't deserve. <laughs> Yeah, Dark, Dark Charlie is a little more interesting than like babe, like whiny Charlie. That's like Claire, why won't you hang out with me? And then yeah, the crazy paranoid Charlie of last episode. So th- this Charlie, even though he's dark and he's doing some wrong bad things, he seems to be, seems to understand reality a little bit better. So that's good. And. Well, I- I like the way the writers told this story. We start off with this kind of, I don't know, light scene with, with Sawyer kind of giving him grief, telling him, you know, hey, you got you got Locke to punch you. That'd be like, you know, getting Gandhi to punch his kid. <laughs> so, you know, it starts off kind of lighthearted, and Charlie kind of gets the better of him by pointing out that, you know, Jack is ransacking his tent. So, you know, it starts off this way, and then you kind of forget about Charlie. Yeah. Even we don't see Charlie other than when we don't know it's Charlie, you know, kidnapping son. We don't see Charlie again until the reveal at the end. Um, so you kind of forget about him. You kind of feel like, OK, that that was over last episode. You know, Charlie had his had his time. You're not expecting him to go do something even worse this episode. Um and I mean, it worked on me. I don't know about you guys, but like, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. No, not at all. I didn't see it either. Well, I'll tell you to add to that, um, and something you didn't, you didn't pick up when, when, when Sawyer found that hood in the jungle. Him and him and Charlie were already in cahoots, so he was yeah. playing Kate from that moment. He he already knew. Oh, this is somebody different. Different weave. Yeah. Different weave and everything. So he already knew that was so the, it's just amazing to me. The whole episode is great because it, it it Sawyer is playing the long game when everybody else is playing the short game. And and I love that about Sawyer. Sawyer is thinking five steps ahead while everybody's just trying to think of where's the next coconut gonna come from they're gonna eat. Sawyer's already five five steps down the road, and I love somebody who is thinking. I think that's what makes Sawyer such a great. Um, I don't want to use the word protagonist, although he we know he is. He's kind of he's kind of um, when when I put it like this, I hope people understand. He's kind of the punisher of the group. So okay. so he he's kind he's the good guy, but he does things in a bad way to accomplish the good things um and you know how the punisher goes and of course kills you know all those people or whatever but i think he i think he does it well he he knows what he's doing and and i just why i just i really like his character especially in the long con i think he's just he's he's really good at that yeah some of these you brought up kate some of these scenes between sawyer and kate are great because and of course, we've seen this episode many times. We know what's happening. He is he's just playing her so badly here and he's planting the seed. But the, it's kind of fun. They're doing a little like who done it, you know, uh, 
uh, investigation figure it out. And Sawyer seems to be really sincere. And there's a great talk about uh, the army. And Sawyer brings up, yeah, Kate and uh, I mean, uh, Jack and uh, Honolulu are starting a little army. And, you know, they haven't recruited you or me or blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, if you're trying to get more people to join your army, what's a great uh, um, motivation? You know, some fear. So, right. And then Kate plants the seed uh, in Jack's head, and, you know, Jack starts... It's amazing how quickly Jack starts questioning Lucia. You know, a second before, he's going to build an army with her. Now he's, like, glaring at her, and he he doesn't believe her at all. So, uh, of course, Jack then comes around to believing her, and they really do think it's the others. But it's a great, you know, it's just a great way to screw with so many people's heads. Oh, yeah. You know, it. they show, they explain a long con to you in the backstory while you're watching a long con play out, and you really get to see a, a master at work. And Sawyer is a master at, at what he does, just the way he deflects the blame to Anna, the way, you know, he gets everybody to do what he wants, and none of them realize that they're playing right into his hands. It's, it's a it's a master stroke on his part, and it's uh, it, it's just well done. And I think it's also a master stroke in the uh, you know the the f- whole execution of the the way they have written it and filmed it and everything. Because obviously we know, but I have to say I I don't think many people see this coming when they're watching the episode because it, it's so easy to get wrapped up. And how interesting it is to see Jack and Locke butting heads. And you are genuinely concerned, like, who who did that to Sun? Because no way could it be Sawyer. You know, we see Sawyer's not around. He finds it. So you, they set up the whole episode that the flashback and the present storyline are not related. It's not a reflection of, of two similar things happening. We just think we're learning about one of his, you know, one part of his backstory. And then we have this other story that's kind of a mystery on the island. And then when it's all over, you're like, oh, my gosh, they're, they are, um, you know, just uh, telling it to us the entire episode. You know, it's right there in front of our faces. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was perfect. It was a perfectly laid out episode. Um for me, uh, you know, Sawyer conning Locke is always great for me to see because Sawyer is, I mean, Locke is so daggum gullible. He's, uh, he's dumbfounded, and I love Locke, but it is kind of satisfying seeing him so dumbfounded. He gets conned. So, so far, we have seen him conned twice. We saw him conned out of his kidney, and then now he's conned out of his guns. It's He is so freaking gullible. And then he's going to get conned by Henry Gale slash... In Linus, he's gonna get conned by that guy too. He is yeah. so gullible yeah. for for as big of a guy as he is in in the story, and as tough as he puts on, he is just he cannot get past a con man. Locke is probably not a very good poker player. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Great at backgammon, terrible at poker. I mean, ultimately that that is his character. Ultimately, he's a. a kind of a tragic fool um as we see how he ends up meeting his end and how essentially he convinced himself he was special 
Um, I don't know if I would. I don't know if I agree with fool, but he's definitely tragic. (laughs) But I get what you're saying. But you know, I just I have to defend the possible <laughs> listeners out there that are raging over you calling Locke a fool. But he does many. I love I things, love Locke, so but he okay he definitely. So, the, in... so while the man in black is inhabiting Locke, the man in black is the fool. There you go. Okay. Do you do you think if the man in black was Locke <laughs> now, he would? Do you think the the man in black would have got? fooled as easily as Locke did. I think that's a hole in your theory there, Mike. I mean, he got played <laughs> in the end. I mean, I, I guess he did. Yeah, he did. So, I mean, just saying. But maybe this wasn't a man in black at this moment. Maybe maybe Locke was actually in control. So I'm just, I'm just anyways. You know, what's interesting is we get a little resurgence of Saeed in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like not to like completely do a 180 from lock, uh, fake lock, but uh, um, <laughs> actually deliberately <laughs> to do that. Uh, we basically, I mean, Saeed, I love Saeed, but you know, after Shannon's death, you know, he's kind of been left on the back burner for a few episodes, and most of this season, Saeed has not played a uh, main role, and. Um, of course, he needed time to grieve and all that. And, you know, we get Hurley. Of course, it's Hurley who's, like, going to try to um, bring his spirits up. And let's get get uh, some classic Saeed back, which by the end, you know, he seems to be uh, more or less back to normal. And, um, you know, at least he's not being made a fool the same way that Locke and Jack are, which I think uh, there's, like, a interesting little shot of Saeed and his reaction is kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, he's, well, he is mad, but he also has a funny reaction after that. But yeah, so, so Hurley tries to give Saeed a radio to play with. And this is basically like when your brother is mad and you like give him a toy or something, but he still wants to be mad. He's like, oh, I hate that. That's stupid. And you're like, okay, well, let me just uh, leave this here. And maybe you're going to, um, look at it or whatever you give him his favorite magazine or something like that um, video game whatever but and then you know later that day or the next day or whatever they uh, they uh, get some who is it Miller Glenn Miller yeah Glenn Miller yeah <laughs> well I think this was just such a it was only two scenes but it was a good story and these two scenes are kind of two scenes that I remember. I mean, obviously the, the lime and the coconut joke is, you know, that's it's definitely kind of a funny little I scene. Love Saeed's yeah. Saeed's reaction. I love it. But you know, then Hurley, you know, when he says, oh, I was just trying, just trying to cheer you up, dude. And I, you can kind of see in Saeed's face that he feels bad because, you know, recently, he was in Hurley's spot, you know, Shannon had lost her brother and he was trying to, to cheer her up and, you know, she wasn't having it. So I think he kind of saw what Hurley was doing there and appreciated what Hurley was doing. So I think he kind of felt bad and went from being kind of a jerk to him to, you know, having a nice moment at the end. And obviously that last scene, um, the, the line about, or any time, 
I mean, that that's one of those kind of big lines in the series of lost really. And, you know, it comes from just a, such a small story in this episode, but to me, those two scenes really stuck with you and seems like it's a bigger part of the story than it really was this episode. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, anything else about this episode before we head out? Oh yeah. So I think, I think we have to talk about the end, not the end, but the, 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 the big the moment speech. for Sawyer, the speech. Yeah. The, the sheriff's speech, one of the most quotable moments that this, I don't know why I think about this line all the time. A new sheriff in town. Y'all best get used to it. It's uh, it's so good. It's so good. And it's one of those. I mean, I love this when it happens in a movie when suddenly everything clicks and you're like, oh, my gosh, yes. And the whole thing, you want to rewatch it immediately. And yeah, it's just, you know, Sawyer tricks Locke. And of course, at first, every even this episode, I originally wrote down, like, how does he find the guns? I, f- I forgot that he recruits Charlie to uh, follow Locke and he gets all the guns and, you know, he basically just roasts everybody. He talks about how you guys are all stupid for following around uh, Jack and Locke. And then he, he takes a stab at Saeed. He's like, yeah, I bet you want to torture me right now. And yeah, he just decides to go like full, um, you know, what is that? Uh, Full bore is what I call it. Just (laughs) bring it on. And I mean, go with his speech and then his, 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 I love that, 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 that slow walk when he puts that gun on his hip and he just slowly, or puts the gun on his shoulder, just slowly just walks right between Locke and Jack. Like, yeah, come on. Yeah. And he has to take the, he's got to take the biggest gun too. It's like an AK-47 or something. So his explanation, it's a little confusing. You know, you guys took my stuff. We already talked about that earlier, but it it's definitely more than just taking his stuff. It's the disrespect to, and to some degree. And, and right. his desire, and, you know, Kate says, you just want to be hated. And it's, I always find that a really uh, great moment uh, between those two because she is legit. She's pissed and she doesn't like that uh she got played too. Uh, She'll but get my... over that when she gets a um polar bear biscuit here next season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one way to put it. Uh, oh boy. One of my favorite little subtle payoffs here. I mentioned earlier with the pills and um in in the hatch when Locke is um taking all the guns out, Sawyer's, you know, obviously giving him this idea and he says he's going to press the button for him. Uh, Sawyer already has taken the pills out or, you know, once the door is opened, they're in there and he's taken one of the, one of the pills, you know, uh, antibiotics or whatever the heck it is, pain pill. And so he already has them in his possession. And then he has them again, I think at the, at the very end. Right. Or, or, or he, ha- I think he, he takes, tosses, he tosses them to Jack when that's Jack what comes. he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a good payoff. It's just, it, it really just rounds out everything perfectly. So, and I have to say, I always get, I definitely get the chills, like watching Sawyer do this. Cause he, he's sounds like a bad dude when he says, I mean, it's cool in some ways, but it's also like, man, you, uh, it's pretty chilling. You know, you, you're, uh, not one to take lightly. Let's just put it that way. So, yep. 
and then we yeah we then you know so that's one you first you kind of get your mind blown there then we already talked about the flashback another mind-blowing moment where uh turns out that uh um he's well i'm not gonna con i'm not gonna con you cassidy and then uh, he pulls the old the, the old double long con uh the I, I conned you with the not gonna the fake con and uh it takes the money that was i'm sure really descriptive and accurate what i just said there and then we go back and we get the third mind-blowing moment where uh we learned that charlie dark charlie was uh the man behind it as well so dark yeah I, I love that i love that ending for for me this is one of those episodes where the story doesn't get pushed along all that much. I mean, it does to some degree with the the kind of uh, power struggle. But for the most part, this episode, you could pluck it out and it doesn't really affect the plot of the show all that much. But it's just one of the best written episodes. And it's always been one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, it was a good episode. Absolutely. All right. Well, nobody died this episode, as far as I know. Um, did anybody die? I don't think so. Oh, everybody's innocent so far. Everybody's free. All right. So 15 to 16 seconds. Uh, Steven, what's your thoughts on this episode, man? I love this episode. I think it was just a extremely well put together episode between the backstory and witnessing the long con on the island. I just think it was a well-crafted, well-told story that ended with Sawyer just with an awesome speech. Um, and even the, the Charlie Saeed moment with the, or any time really has, you know, it's kind of one of those moments that stuck with you. So really all around thought this was an awesome episode. All right. Corey, what about you? Yeah, I just think this is all around a great episode. You know, we didn't even mention that uh, you get uh, Sun and Jin involved a little bit. I like uh, mm-hmm. Jin's uh, veracity, uh, which kind of spurs the whole end of the episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this is a great episode. It gets a lot of characters involved. And it's, yeah, it's a compelling story. And we have like a WTF moment at the end. I love a good twist ending. This is like the end of like the prestige or something where you uh, are super stoked to watch it again. So yeah, this is like one of those perfect episodes. Yeah. I agree with all your sentiments uh, from, from both of you. I think it was a great episode. Um, I thought the character development was, was spot on. I think the story was really good. Um, They laid a lot of groundwork for a lot of her things. Um, and I think that I think we pulled back a little bit of layers too. So I really enjoyed this episode. It's definitely one of my favorite episodes for sure. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's get into our rating system here. So every episode we wait, we rate them between we wait them. No, we rate them between one and 23. And this episode, we are going to rate it between one and 23 celery-free chicken salads. That was challenging <laughs> to say. To, to Who say came up with that one? Uh, Steven came up with that, that one, yeah, and I loved it. So, uh, no celery. I just can't Please wait. Please, God, no celery. 
Gordy does not like celery. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, celery is not that offensive of a <laughs> vegetable. It has no taste, but it's I great crunch. Butter on it. I'm just saying. Yeah, the crunch could be invasive to your salad experience, I'd say. <laughs> I prefer cucumber. And it's like, what? It's a waste. I mean, you get nothing out of celery, really. Um, <laughs> but somehow they managed to sell celery drinks to everybody for like five bucks a pop, so... Because why not? Just put it on everybody buys it. Yep. Um, all right, Mike, where where, you, where do you have this episode rated? Uh, definitely, it's not perfect, but it's definitely uh, up there with some of my favorite ones. So it, it's a, a 21 out of 23 for me. Celery-free chicken salads. Fantastic. Um, and Stephen, where are you at on this one? I gave this one a 22 out of 23. Um, celery-free plates of chicken salad. Oh, you got to say it. You got to say yeah. it. I, I said it. Okay. And for myself, uh, I'm going to go 21 out of 23 celery-free uh, plates of chicken salad. Yes. So, uh, yeah, I, I did say it's a perfect episode, but it's perfect for what this episode is, the story it's telling. I think there's a lot of episodes where they managed to have a lot more happen that would be better. So that's why I – gave it 21 out of 23 which is still really good so i think we're all on the same page that uh it's a great episode all right all right we got sawyer's name dictionary we had the sawyer episode so we had a lot of a lot (laughs) of additions here we got el jacko we called jack el jacko called kate sheena called Locke Haas. This is one of many people he calls Haas over the course of the series. So calls Locke Johnny Locke, called son Tokyo Rose, which I think we're going to look at in pop By culture way, connections. That one was a really good nickname. Like, 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 like if I could pick pinpoint any of Sawyer's nicknames toward people, Tokyo Rose was probably one of his better ones. <laughs> well, it's 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 a strong one. Um, it, it, it is has, a strong it, one. It, it has saying. it has it has some tones that we may we may see about in pop culture connections coming up here. Right. So uh, so okay. <laughs> so I I under I understand that, but I'm just saying as far as like the way it sounds, like he could have said, you know. Uh, old little, little Miss Sunshine, but he used the phrase "Old Tokyo Rose." I mean, just the the well, phrasing. Was... Let's let's jump ahead to pop culture connections and just do this right now. Uh, when uh, Tokyo Rose was a generic name given by Allied forces in the South Pacific during World War II to any of approximately twenty English-speaking free- female broadcasters of Japanese propaganda. Right. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have the best connotation. I get that. Yeah, def- definitely. But, but, yeah, but what I'm, but what I'm the- saying is it's one of his better chosen <laughs> nicknames as far as calling people. Instead of just calling them, you know, everybody knows what, what, what Hoss is. If you know if you know anything about, you know, uh, Bonanza. Okay, we get Hoss. Okay, we get Mr. Clean when he calls Locke Mr. Clean. But Tokyo Rose, okay. He's go, going off the beaten path, grabbing something a little different now. Well, I, I got to say, often through the course of this series, we Sawyer, unfortunately, um, has some some 
racist undertones and a lot of things he says and and it's you know falls into that category i liked it in a race no no absolutely i have no connotation that absolutely not but i guess and the fact that she's korean and not japanese exactly (laughs) so if anybody listening thinks oh he's culturally racist no i meant not where i was going Hoss or Lulu or just something simple. He actually goes off the path and comes up with a completely out there name for her. Yeah. All right. And Anna Lucia, Anna Lulu. That was an interesting one. And um, we also got in the flashback, he called Cassidy Dimples, which I think this one's kind of fun. Um, as he calls... Uh, Kate Freckles, Cassidy was dimples, and I don't, I don't know what this says about Sawyer, and it, 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 this reminded me of. Do you guys ever watch one of the greatest reality shows ever, Flavor of Love? Uh, I, I remember it a little bit. That greatest reality show ever, Stephen. Flavor of Love, the, the dating show with Flavor Flav. The first episode, he'd have. 20 girls or whatever and he would give them all names and this is the names they went by the whole show and it was just based on his first stream of conscious impression of them and to me that's kind of what Sawyer's doing here you know first he noticed Kate's freckles so he calls her freckles he notices Cassidy's dimples he calls her dimples um flavor flave he had you know he noticed some other things about some of these and, women but and, it just and, it, it reminds and, me and, of flavor flave Sawyer <laughs> and destroyer anybody that's of Asian descent is Tokyo yeah. or Japanese yeah, exactly. or something like that. Doesn't even they're they're all mixed together to him. They're all they're all the same general area. Yeah. So the, the three the three loves of Sawyer's life, he's got dimples for Cassidy, uh, freckles for Kate, and then Blondie for Juliet. Juliet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he's he's a. Uh, what does he have for Anna Lucia besides Anna Lulu? I, I don't well, know that that was, that was one of his great loves. Yeah, more of a fling. But we do we do add to the total freckle count this episode. We're up to eleven now. We added a couple couple freckles this episode. Um, pop culture connections. Um, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. One of the books Locke is looking at while alphabetizing them in the hatch is a Civil War era short story written by Ambrose Bierce. The story is famous for its unreliable narrator, irregular time sequence, and twist ending. Oh, yeah. Um, it was also made into a short film um, that was featured as an episode of The Twilight Zone. So anytime there's a movie or a book in here, it it's done for a reason. And I, yes. think, I think that, you know, I, I've never read this book, but it, it sounds like definitely an interesting one to check out. If you like Lost, um, we didn't actually talk about that during the episode, but I don't believe he was actually he said he was alphabetizing the books, but I don't know what he was doing there. Uh, he was looking for more um, film cartridges, you know, I lost films looking for more film too. I, I don't think he was actually alphabetizing. <laughs> um, this is actually. Um, sorry. Um just to say, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge is a great story. I read the story a long time ago, and I watched. I think I've I've seen a film, a version of it because there is a. I think there was one on Alfred Hitchcock, 
um, presents, which it was like a sh- you know, which are like a collection of these little short films. Um, and I was trying to look it up here really quickly. Anyways, there's been a lot of adaptions and it's won a lot of awards. I remember being really blown away by the there's a, there was like a silent movie. I can't remember which one I saw. I'm pretty sure I saw the one that was on Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But yeah, definitely check that out if you want to see some cool old um, movie stuff. I highly recommend that. Okay. Sorry to interrupt what you were saying. No, there. no, that's Alph- great. Alphabetation, alpha- <laughs> the Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we also had a Donkey Kong. Um, Sawyer says he was this close to his high score on Donkey Kong. This is a <laughs> Nintendo video game released in 1981. Um, one of the songs Hurley and Saeed here was Moonlight Serenade, um, recorded by the Glenn Miller Orchestra. And as we discussed earlier, um, and on December 15th, 1944, Miller and two other officers uh, traveled from London to Paris, and their plane simply disappeared and has still not been found. Um, also, we heard Just a Sittin' and a Rockin'. This song by the Duke Ellington Orchestra was mentioned on the WXR broadcast. Um, when Saeed is cracking coconuts, Hurley references the song Coconut by Harry Nilsson from 1971. Uh, the, put the lime in the Coke and then you drink them both up. Um, Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. Sawyer calls Kate Sheena, who is a I jungle. that one. A jungle. No, I think we had it on there. A jungle-dwelling comic book character able to communicate with wild animals. She was fiercely <laughs> proficient in fighting with knives, spears, and bows, and improvised with makeshift weapons. She appeared in her own television series. Well, it seems like a fairly accurate nickname. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Good, uh, good catch on that one. Bonanza calls Locke Hoss um, after Eric Hoss Cartwright, the big man, the warm and lovable middle son of Ben Cartwright in this cowboy TV show from 1959 to 73. And then Bad Twin, Hurley finds in a scene reading the transcript for this book written by the metafictional character character gary troop which we discussed earlier this is actually a a manuscript that's out there you can buy and and read hmm. um created you know in conjunction is if, if you like deep diving in the lost um with you know this that's another thing you can read yeah all right that was a lot of episode facts on this one <laughs> And a lot of names, so... Well, what's a Sawyer episode? He has, like, 20 references a minute. (laughs) That's right. I love it. Uh, uh, Something else I love is our next episode, The the Plot Thickens. It is a Saeed-centric episode entitled One of Them. And we have a new Island Losty. We'll be joining the group for a little bit. We don't know how the group will take to Henry Gale, but we'll uh, we'll find out next uh, next episode. Yeah, this is actually the uh, prequel to Up, so it's yes, or or to be the sequel. <laughs> I'm not sure, but if you're a big uh, hot air balloon fan, make sure you tune in. And this, because this is this is the episode where things really get going in the show. This is uh this is an episode. 
So, all right. Well, you can follow us on Twitter, everyone, at RetroZapped, uh, at Lost Rewatch Pod, uh, on Instagram, at Previously on Lost Podcast, on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com slash Previously on Lost. You can find me at the DC Mike. You can find Stephen where at on Twitter? At Lucky13Steve on Twitter. All right, all right. Uh, what about you, Corey? Yeah, find me on Twitter, at OriginalMav. All right, and you can find everything about us here on the RetroZap Discord, so check all that exciting information out. Go to RetroZap.com for more information on anything you can need for our network. Anything else, guys, before we power down and go to bed for the night? Nope, that's it. I think we're all pretty tired. Uh, we may be going to bed right this, everybody. Oh, I'm going to watch uh, the World Series, but uh... <laughs> and you know what? By by the time this video, this podcast airs, the World Series is going to be like three weeks over. <laughs> yeah, go Dodgers! Hopefully they don't blow it. So, so do we want to get political then, real quick? No, we're not going to get political. <laughs> no. That way, we see who's going to. Uh, no, we're not doing that. No, no, no. We're not touching politics with a ten foot pole. <laughs> but I will be. I will. I will make a a a prediction right now. You ready? Somebody will win. Just saying. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. So some some somebody's going to win. <laughs> Good prediction. <laughs> That's right. I know I'm going to be right. They're going to be laughing at us like, he thought someone would win. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, guys, this has been Previous Y'all Lost. You guys have a good one. Take care. All right. Peace out, guys. <laughs>